Okay, so, um, I think this is day eight, yeah, day eight of the 63rd BFI London Film Festival, people, and, uh, yeah, it's been a good day, been a real good day, three films, four interviews, just, yeah, just keeping it going, so, um, Today's episode, we're going to have um, Greed, Knives Out, and Pink Wall, um, along with a little interview with um, Tom Cullen, the director of Pink Wall, plus um, there's an intro and a Q&A from the uh, premiere this evening, so uh, yeah, Enjoy it, people. Enjoy it. I yeah. I hope these um. Out they deliver. You know what I mean. Hope they give you what I was hoping they gave you. All right, let's do it. Okay, so just been um to see Greed, the new film from um Mike Winterbottom. Who wrote and directed this It was produced by Damon Jones And Melissa Parmita And it's starring Steve Coogan Isla Fisher David Mitchell Asa Butterfield And Sophie Cookson Uh, The gist of the film is this Richard McCready Played by Coogan Is the king of the high street Following a few wobbles with fraud investigations And to prove he's still on top He is determined to throw the ultimate celeb field 60th birthday bash Cue a Mediterranean island Bedecked with a fake amphitheatre For an ancient Rome themed backdrop But as the guests start arriving Including Mother Um, Played by Shirley Henderson Ex-wife, Fisher And a daughter who's shooting A Made in Chelsea style reality show Greedy McCready's empire Starts to come apart at the seams Mixing Greek myth and gladiator fandom With incisive social politics This is both an enjoyable And very angry film Hitting its targets with Winterbottom's typically thrilling energy Coogan is hilarious as the embodiment of hubris With a vast ensemble cast including David Mitchell as an investigative journalist Azim Chowdhury as a chilled out lion tamer And Danita Golly as the woman making the connection between fast fashion and exploitation. What's also remarkable is how the film breaks down business fraud and international trade deals in an easy to digest way. Amid the anarchic farce that pits humour against the one percent. So with this one, um yeah, the it is a huge cast. A huge cast and a lot of, like, you know, I think big comedians or, or comedic actors in this one. Um, 
Now the film starts And this is what it does So it will show certain things Like at the beginning They're handing out checks So you get to see I think the, um, The corruption And the ways in which they do it So they'll show something And then you know straight after or a bit later they'll kind of explain it somehow in um some form of context within the film you know like oh the checks getting handed out are really you know money from blah 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 and so they do that that's what this film does uh and also you get we're getting a lot of flashbacks so yeah, I think you then jump to the scenes from after the party. Then we go three days before, um, and it's a lot of this like flashbacks to the um, the difficulties he's um, having with you know fraud investigations and. It's just a lot of these flashbacks, flashbacks to school, flashbacks to, you know, his first inroads into business and all of this. Uh, now, it, yeah, so in the copy it says, like, Danita Gully's character is the woman making the connection between fast fashion and exploitation. And it's a bit like, mm, I think everyone had made that, like, that wasn't. A connection that really needed to be made <laughs> You know what I mean that, It's glaring, it's there It's not subtle Like McGreedy, McCready Even, he knows But Yeah, he, he's doing it the, the reason he's Getting his clothes made in Sri Lanka It's the reason why he's Trying to haggle people down and everything Like that, it's all for a purpose um, but the thing with um, Gully's character is You straight away You realise Oh She is the one that will be You know Doing you know, She's going to play a part to bring him down And Yeah it, You just see that It's It's just obvious And I think that's the thing with this film It is pretty Obvious, it's pretty much On the nose, you know exactly What's going to happen um, A lot of the humour does Seem Forced, rather than Just this natural Hilarity You know, because Yeah, like making these dodgy deals And all of this kind of stuff, there is a humour In it Because it's so just blatant, you know what I mean, it's blatant, but it's not a crime in a lot of contexts, so that's just, there's funny in that, you know, because it's ludicrous, like the situation is all ludicrous, like this um, whole infatuation with Gladiator is ludicrous, it's all funny, so I think it could have been funny without it being so shoehorned and forced on us, which is just, yeah, it's a shame, because as as I mentioned, there's so many 
like comedic actors in this who we've seen be funnier and better in other things like i think i you know i wouldn't say like the acting is terrible or anything like that the acting's decent you know isa fisher shirley henderson um like coogan yeah and and golly they're all they all give good performances but we've seen them give great performances i think that's the thing like david mitchell it it, it kind of seemed that he did like you know what i mean I think it was just like, oh, do I, am I playing this character as funny buffoon, um, you know, just straight, like, how am I playing this, and he's just caught in between the two, which then becomes a bit odd, yeah, like, he's meant to be a biographer, but it just, his character just comes off a bit strange, like, caught in this limbo of, um, yeah, I don't know, it's a strange one, um, but, yeah, I, I just, I think that for this film to have the impact it obviously is meant to have, I kind of felt that, um, I don't know, like, Armando Inanucci probably could have nailed it. I, I think he could have been... He, he could have given it that grit that it needed. Because I think it needs a tenacity. It needs this extra something for it to really properly resonate with you. And um, it doesn't quite pack that punch. Like, I think a, a, a crazy part of it as well, because the film is meant to be showing, like, this corruption, this, this uh, you know, this double dealing, this, you know, this fraudulent nature, that, Kind of gets um, it gets sidetracked because you, uh, you we then have this theft in the film. We have this uh, like this other this thing that happens at the end, which then it's like it takes away from the point you're trying to make because these things are just as bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is no real excuse for these things, these actions. You know, like, someone can say, oh, when I did this thing, it was like I wasn't there. That That's not an excuse for doing that thing. You did a thing. You know what I mean? There was, there's other ways to bring someone down, to shine a light on something. But you, but when someone steps over a certain line, they're kind of just as bad, you know, it's just as bad, so yeah, I, I, I think that 
that seemed to be a bit of a misstep, really. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's just how it seemed to me. Like, at the end, it looked like... I don't know, there was some sort of numbers and stuff coming up on the screen. Um, I Yeah, I couldn't really see them. They're small. And it just seems... Like, if you want to make... If you're trying to make a point about something, why not make it in the film? You Like, you don't have to have just numbers popping up on the screen. It just infuriates me. Just infuriates because not everyone can see that. It just seems a lazy way of doing it. You know, incorporate into the film or don't. Or just don't have it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, listen, I, I do believe, though, if you enjoy political satire, I, I, I think if you enjoyed, um, uh, I think it's that film, is it Free Lions? Yeah, I think Free Lions... Ah, no, Four Lions, I missed a lion It's Four my if, yeah, if you like Chris Morris stuff Then, um, I think this will probably, yeah, I think this could be for you This I think this could resonate Um, yeah, yeah, I would say that would be the kind of thing so, um, yeah, if you like that sort of humour, if that's your type of film, that's all gravy, man. And you get a couple of occasions to um, see this. So, it's going to be playing tomorrow, Thursday the 10th of October at quarter to 12. And that's at the Embankment Garden Cinema, the one in between Embankment and Charing Cross. Then, on the last day of the festival, Sunday the 13th of October... At 5.30 at the View West End So, um, yeah Two opportunities to see the new Michael Winterbottom film Starring Steve Coogan Isla Fisher David Mitchell Asa Butterfield Sophie Cookson And Denita Golly So, uh, yeah Check it out if it's for you It's 100 um, it's an hour and 40 minutes, so, um, yeah, you know, not too crazy on the time front. Okay, so, I'm just out of the screening of Knives Out. This is the new film from Ryan Johnson, and he wears a few hats. So, he co-produced along with um, Ram Bergman, and he also wrote the film. It's starring Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Amas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stratfield, Catherine Langford, Jendon Martell, and Christopher Plummer. The music is by Nathan Johnson, and the cinematography is Steve Yeldon. The gist of the film is this. Murder mystery novelist Harlan 
Thornberry, played by Plummer, is a veritable one-man crime fiction industry and his adult children and their children have been living off him for years. When the, he turns up dead, the apparent victim of a murder, it seems that no one has a motive for killing the uh, golden goose. At least that's what the detectives assigned to the case to think. But Benoit Blanc, played by Craig, the debonair Kentucky Fried private investigator, mysteriously hired by an anonymous source has other ideas, with a superb cast at their arch best, Jamie Lee Curtis, Chris Evans, et al. Um, you know, this is impeccably written and designed, full of unexpected twists and turns from start to finish. Johnson clearly knows his mystery genre greats from fiction, television and film. Agatha Christie, Murder, She Wrote and Sleuth are some of the reference points. But while always aware of the conventions, here Ryan Johnson does for the murder caper what he did with Brick for Noir and Looper for science fiction. He injects them with fresh magic and shows you whole new ways of looking at it. At a beloved genre, Knives Out is a classic whodunit and as sharp as the blade that killed the patriarch at the heart of the film. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think for the most part that is true. I mean, there's a, there's a few things that are wrong. Like, um, you know, at the, at, the, at the beginning, it is suspected that it was a suicide, um, you know, from, uh, in the point of Harlan. But, yes, now, this definitely is, like, I wouldn't say we see anything particularly new here. Johnson has crafted it in such a way that is thoroughly enjoyable. You know, I mean, yeah, the whole film, it's just, it's a joy to watch, to be honest with you. Um, like, the feel of the film, the look of the film, it all works, you know? You, and you do get that kind of Agatha Christie um, vibe but with a bit of Jeeves and Worcester thrown in, you know, because it is rather eccentric and um, odd. <laughs> yes, there is definitely oddities in this. But the thing is, you, you know, we then realise it is set within modern day, because I think that was one of the things. When I heard about this film, it was like, oh, okay. Um, is it going to be set in the kind of same aura uh, it, it, you know, it's time frame of um, Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple. But no, 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 no. This is a, a, a modern set film. So, you, you know, we have all the trappings of mobile phones and things such as that. 
So that means you do have to be a, a bit smarter. Because, you know, when you read a lot of Udamets, uh, you know, you think, mm, people can get away with that now because we've got Wi-Fi, we've got internet, we've got camera phones, we've got... But all of that is, um, yeah, all of that is taken into account. And, yeah, we, we just get this... We get this story that is... is very intriguing you've got a wealth of these characters and look you heard the names in this film there are a lot of big time actors and actresses and everyone gets a, a bit of play you know I don't there's not like characters that you just like ah I wish we had more of them you know I wish we I mean I, well I mean yes I, I think we could all say we wish we had more of all of these characters but I don't think there was anyone that got a um, a disservice you know everyone had a bit of time which was nice you know um, it's funny because we we kind of get a, an idea of what happened early on and so you think that your interest in the film might be spoiled you know like well we know who did it so why do we care now but ah that's the thing because I think when you find out a truth like that early you do suspect that it possibly isn't the truth. But you're watching the film and you're like, I can't see holes. You know what I mean? I can't see where there might be subterfuge. So you're watching it with the intent of, oh, what have I missed? What have I missed? And the story, like, we learn more in that instance as well so it's at no point even when you know we have this information are we just like eh I might as well leave because it's still enthralling we're still just like oh wow that's interesting ah I didn't know that so it is played extremely well um and I think all the way through we have some we have good dialogue. The dialogue is very good. And I think one thing I do appreciate, the characters all had different voices because this is a thing that you find a lot in books, in films, in TV. Like, when you have an assembly cast, sometimes, sometimes, people have the same voice you know, the same mannerisms, and it's infuriating. But this one, you didn't. Like, um, ah, Tony Collette's character, uh, when they, they were all talking and Benoit Blanc appeared, she's like, um, oh, I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. And it, it was just a perfect line. You know what I mean? To kind of fit in with how people digest information right now. You know, it's just like, I didn't read it. I just saw that tweet. And that, but that's what people do. They, they, they see tweets, they see these headlines, and then they come to assumptions. 
and it was a nice little way of pointing that out and this is a bit all the way through the film we're getting this sharp dialogue you know and it it, it, it helps to keep you engaged in this old genre you know who done it so a really old genre and make it so it's not stuffy make it so it is up to date you know, it's, it's within these time frames and it is taking account for technology, for, like, modern understandings, just for all of that kind of stuff. Like, a lot of the insults that are thrown around and, like, a SJW and, like, people getting called Nazis and... You know, trolls and just all of this, all this language is there, which yeah, just keeps it fresh and modern, which is great. And I have to say, I, I, I remember I saw an interview a while back, uh, and Johnson kind of mentioned he's making this film, and that his hope is to make it like an Urquhart Miss Marvel, so you know you can have new entries to this um, series, but you just have Benoit Blanc go investigate new mysteries and whatnot, just like Urquhart's Marvel. And, hey, I, yeah, I was wrong about films last year. I thought there were certain films like Destroyer and Beautiful Boy that were going to be bigger than they were, but the way everyone reacted to this film in the screening feel that this is just the first of many, many adventures of Benoit Blanc and I for one cannot wait, can't wait for more because it's great and what it does for Johnson as well, I think this film will take away the stink <laughs> from that last Star Wars film because this is just great. This this is it just works on so many levels. You know, just the the camera angles, just the way it was shot just was really good to kind of draw you into certain things, keep you at a distance with others, so you know what I mean, you're you're not like automatically picking up on like the evidence and potential spoilers and everything like that. You know, throwing the camera on someone to kind of give doubt to a situation all worked. The music worked perfectly with the film as well. The acting, everyone's acting was so good. Like Daniel Craig, he plays this kind of because I wouldn't say that um, Blanc is a fool. He's a little bit of a buffoon, but he's clever, he's smart, and, and Craig kind of melds all that together and does a, a fantastic job. Chris Evans, Captain America, god damn it, he was exceptional. And um, Lakeith Stanfield, you know, like we've seen him in um, things like Atlanta, and he's good in this. He, he, he made a good detective and just everyone everyone Marta yeah, just yeah this is a great film people 
So, I think you will um, definitely need to go check it out. And you do have a, um, uh, I don't know, two more occasions to do so. So it's playing on Friday the 11th of October, 11am at the Odeon Lux Leicester Square. And if you can't make that, the last day of the Feb, the, the festival, Sunday the 13th, it's at quarter to three at the Empire Haymarket. And um, listen, people, you know, you might be at work, you might be at uni, whatever on a Friday. But if you can, definitely try and check out the Sunday performance because this is a film not to be missed. And I mean, you'll be pleased to know that this is an accessible it's an accessible screening, so um, there's an audio soundtrack, headphones will be available on request. So, this was Knives Out from Ryan Johnson, who wrote, directed, he produced as well, along with Ram Bergman. It's starring Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Amas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Chris Plummer, and a whole host of other talented individuals. People, check it out, because this is, this was fantastic. And especially if you are fans of a, a murder mystery, you will not go wrong with this film. Okay, people, so we're just about to get into um, our last review, Pink Wall. So how we're going to do it, um, I think we are going to, yeah, we're going to do the, hmm, actually, I'm not quite sure, fuck, um, alright, let's do the intro, no, we're going to do the review, then we're going to do the intro, the Q&A, and then the interview, okay? No, we'll do the... <laughs> oh my gosh, it's hard to work this out. Alright, we're going to do the review. We're going to do the interview, intro, Q&A. Boom. Yes. Alright, enjoy. Okay, so, people, I have just come out of the, um... Yeah, the premiere of Pink Wall. Ah... Uh, God damn it, people. This uh, this was directed and written by Tom Collin. Produced by Maggie Monteith, Jamie Adams, Richard Ellis, and Nigel Goldsack. It's starring J2 Police and Tatiana Maslany. And, um... Yeah, the gist of the film is this. Jenna, played by Maslany, and Leon, played by Duplass, US expats in the UK, hook up and fall madly in love. Careers, ambitions, insecurities, and other people ultimately intervene, and the relationship falters. But this story isn't told sequentially. 
Instead, we see six time-shuffled snapshots, moments of blissful connection or bitter recrimination that reveal the beautiful and brutal truths behind any romance. Weekend star Cullen's debut feature is ambitious, extraordinarily accomplished and deeply affecting. Each scene has its own visual style, from grainy 4.3 academy ratio intimacy to widescreen status, informing its dialogue and themes, working from a semi-improvised script, Maslany and Duplass are superb in what's largely a two-hander. And though Cullen's influences include John Casvetti and Mike Lee, he's already on his way to creating his own personal cinema. Uh, I mean, people. This, it's just... Really, really interesting. So, yeah, the the film kind of is these six scenes that we we follow. So, like, the six scenes don't all run like from beginning to end. Sometimes we get a bit of a scene, then the next scene, and then the rest of that scene will play out later on in the film. But it's just these six moments. And these six moments are just the way they are captured. You know, the, 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 what they tell us. How they inform us on these situations is... It's just masterful. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, people. It's like we start off at a family dinner party, you know, so it's with, um, yeah, it's with Jenna's family, and so we, we see her and Leon interact with everyone, though the camera is basically on her and Leon, um, and... You know, you're watching it and it looks like it's going one way, you know? It looks like they're both in sync. It, it, it's perfect. It's great. Then they go outside and, yo, <laughs> it's one of those ones, people. Yes, it's a complete 180. You know, they're attacking each other. It's just like, how do you want me to be? You embarrass me. And you just get this rawness and just like, ah. But then, then, like, a little joke, a little joke brings it back. And now they're both in each other's corner. And it's all good. And I think that scene is so telling in letting us understand what this is and how we will perceive things, 
You know, it's just really well structured. And it's just like, yo, the the rest is just as good, if not better than that opening. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you think, oh shit, that's good. And then the rest of it unfolds and you're just like, oh man. And I think the craziness of it, like, you will root for both. It's not like, oh, I'm all about Jenna. Or, yo, I'm I'm Team Leon and that's it. Fuck Jenna. Yo, you will watch it and you will be like, oh, shit, no, I see that. Oh, I see that. Oh, man. And, it, and, and you're just on this emotional roller coaster. I think that's the that's the crazy thing about this, you know. You're you're just like, oh, what is this doing to me? You know, like what is this doing to me? <laughs> hey, I have to point out one thing I really loved about this film as well. Like, so when a new scene is introduced, it it will tell you the time period. To be like year one, year five, year four. And what I really liked about it, big lettering. Big lettering using the whole screen. Not just some tiny friggin' words in the center or something stupid like that. And yeah, that's what it should be. Announce this thing. And yeah. Tom does it, Tom does it, and I commend him for doing that, because I could read it, I understood, it was great, but yeah, like, man, every scene was just, it was just a killer, it was just a killer, because you were just, like, really brought into these moments, and, like, so, there's this scene between Jenna and her friend, and it's so fun. It is so fun. Like they're joking around, they're playing, they're ah, you know, it, it's just there's fun with a bottle. It's just a great scene that kind of just opens up new sides to the character. You know, like, you see these new things, and it's just like, ah, okay. And then that leads to a club scene that actually felt like a club. There's a lot of times you watch a film, and there's a club scene. But there's so much space on the dance floor. And you're just like, hold on it. There's never that much space If it's a great night And it's just banging and all of that It's just tight It's tight You know It's not just these huge spaces And so it all, like They always feel a bit ingen- Ingenuous But this just Yeah it felt ah, It felt like a club scene Should be You really got that energy you know, and I think you then, it was just great how you saw the blossoming of everything, 
And then just those interactions in the house, you know, the, the way they were just opening up about things. And it just reminds you of the different stages of relationships you've been in. You know, that, that first date when you meet someone and you go out and it's it's not just all oh, we met for an hour for coffee it's one of those ones when you spend a whole day with someone you know and you have so much fun you know what I mean? and and that's what it brings to you and you're like ah oh, yes i remember that it just gives you all of those emotions. And the film is just the way it's shot. The way it's shot is great as well. So, as I said, like in that first scene, the camera is basically just straight on Jenna and um, Leon. Then we have other scenes where the camera is, say, at the end of the room. So you, you get both of them within the frame but they're in different kind of areas then sometimes you have a like a shot that kind of moves around as the people are kind of talking and interacting which is just very interesting like it's not a crazy bright film you know but I think that works in the respect that not because look, yes, at the beginning, the relationship is just hitting this perfect stride, but the colors and you know the tones really kind of drill down to that that intimacy. You know, and then other times it works in, you know, the, the fact that like there's this certain conversation going on, this open, frank conversation that everything's coming out, or it's just, you know, just this rawness, just this rawness of a confession. And so it just works. It really works like that. And then you've got music. Like, hearing the meteors was just... Because I love that song. And it fit in perfectly. So I'm just like, ah, nice. Nice. But I think a thing was where the film does connect you to... Past relationships of your own And lets you emphasise with these characters Lets you understand these characters Feel these characters It also means that you are just Dragged across the coals You know There's this one scene That Certain things are said and you're just like Oh no no, but they're like, mm, okay, what I will say now is, look, although you are really, you know, it feels like the floor has fallen out on you, 
there are glimmers there is a glimmer you know i think as like like as with everything things aren't always cut and dry things aren't always black and white so i think possibility is always there like hope is always there redemption is always there and that's nice that's you know what i mean i i think it's nice that there's no definitiveness on certain things but I and I also feel the way the scenes are cut together and everything like that, it just ends it ends on this really nice moment. This I think it was the the perfect time for it to come to the end. You know? It's just I don't know, people. I you you need to see this because the chemistry between Dupas and Maslana, Maslani, is just that it it helps make the film. Like the acting all the way through is great, but their chemistry, it you believe every single thing, every single thing. It just resonates with you. You know, like the the improvised nature of the of, of certain scenes, it works because you have this natural feel to it. You know what I mean? Like you've you've been in no similar conversations. You've definitely been in similar conversations. I mean, I haven't said I've got IBS to get out of something, but I can understand because yeah, there's been these weird conversation, these these weird moments, and all of it resonates. All of it feels true, and that's the beauty of this film. It really is the beauty of this film. Um, so look, there's two more occasions for you to see this. So, um, tomorrow, Thursday the 10th of October, it's playing at 3.30 at the View West End. The one in Leicester Square, people. Then, the penultimate day of the festival, Saturday the 12th of October, again at 3.30 at the View. And I really recommend you go and uh, you go check it out. Because... I I I will say this people I will say this Like The King was one of my favourite films so far But this This is definitely up there If not maybe my favourite I love this film This is an incredible film And I will be recommending this film to everyone I know So people Go watch it. It's, uh, yeah, it's Pink Wall by uh, Tom Carlin, who directed and wrote the film. Produced by Maggie Monteith, Jamie Adams, Richard Ellis and Nigel Goldsack. It's starring Jay Duplass and Tatiana Maslany. It's 81 minutes, but people, it doesn't feel... 
doesn't feel as short as 81 minutes. It feels that you have have gone through this these six years. You have been invested. You have been immersed. But you are not bored. Trust me, you are never, ever bored. So, check out Pink Wall People. I promise you will not be disappointed. You really won't. Oh, and I will say, listen, because, yeah, it's all about giving context, right? So, if you like stuff like um, Richard Linklater's films... Because there's that rawness, there's that trueness in the interactions, right? You know what I mean? You you really feel that. So, if that's what you like, then definitely this is for you, you know? Um, if you like films such as uh, Take This Waltz. Which I think I, t- I mentioned the other day in a review um, Which was a, hey, it's a 2011 film Starring um, Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman Sarah Polly directed and wrote it It's an incredible film, I love it It's a great film If you like that if you, I think if you like stuff like Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind you know, if you like films that really, I think, break down a relationship, really look at things and and look at it with a truth and an honesty. If you like those sort of films, people, Pink Wall is for you. OK, so go check it out. You've been told. Okay, so I'm here with Tom Cullen, who is the director on Pinkwall. Tom, I really appreciate your time. Now, Pinkwall, so it's, it's about a relationship, and you're using the kind of framing device of just six scenes. How did you, like, why, why that approach? Um, so, I wanted to make a relationship drama but you know it, <clears throat> relationship drama is a it's a well trodden path and yeah, it's been we've seen a few there's been a few of them <laughs> and they've all been done pretty you know, some of them have been done very very well and I wanted to explore my own successes and failures in relationships and I I, 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 I and for my first film that's what I wanted to kind of get into because it it felt right for whatever mm. reason um but I didn't want to make a film that I, I'd seen before, and yeah. so I decided to make it as experiential as possible. So I, I just came up with this non-linear structure. So it's it's six scenes, and each scene is a year from this couple's relationship, uh, and it's told in a non-linear structure. And the um, idea is that it's it's designed like memory, because yeah. you know when we reflect back on relationships or failed relationships in particular I think that we memory isn't linear we don't it's expansive and I think that we juxtapose different moments in our life in in, in Mm. that journey to understand our emotional landscape and so 
that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to design a film that the audience would feel like they'd felt it, like they would have juxtaposed those memories in the, in the same way that the couple would have, and hopefully by the end they would have felt like they'd witnessed the relationship, um, rather than it kind of be dictated to uh, them. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's, it's an experiment and it's risky. Yeah, it's an experiment and it's a risk, but um, I hope that it translates or on some level resonates with some people. No, I think that's a really good point because, yeah, oftentimes when you think back to something, you'll think, oh, well, it happened because of that. And then you, then when you actually think about it, you'll be like, oh, no, actually, that came after that. It didn't go like that. And you remember things completely out of order. Yeah. But in making the film like this, like, have you had to do anything in particular to go, all right, well, if we jump in like that, people might not straight away connect with the characters. So did you use anything to kind of be like, all right, how are we introducing people to everyone? Or are we just straight in kind of thing? Um... Yeah, so I, the film actually starts in year four, so the fourth year of their relationship. And the film opens with a, a two-shot, and I hold it for about six minutes. And it's just them at a dinner table, and it's with, uh, it's with the female protagonist's family. Um, and they're just talking about their dynamic and their relationship with her family. And so that, that is the introduction. So... Right. The reason I wanted to do that is because, you know, you, you're forced to look at these two people and, then you're just, and it's just held there. Mm. And you can see that the way that they interact and the way that they... Uh, they're, they're, they're dynamic. And I kind of go, right, guy, to the audience, this is who we're going to follow. This is, this is the... This is, these are the two characters and this is who we're going to get in deep with for the next hour and a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of how I started and then I unraveled and unpicked from there. Okay, that, that, yeah, that makes sense. That's a, yeah, that's a good way to, to do that. Like, how was the casting for this? Did, like, names come to mind when you were doing it or were you just out to audition and then you just thought, oh, these people could work? Uh, no, I, I didn't audition anybody, actually. Um, so, Tatiana, who's the lead in it, she's my partner. Um, and J.D. Plass, I'm just a fan of his work. Mm. I was a really big fan of Transparent. And I had always imagined that those two would have a really good uh, chemistry together. They, you know, they're similar kind of actors, and I feel like they'd bounce off each other. And so, I essentially came up with the idea and wrote it for them. And then everyone else in the film is my family and my friends. So my, my stepdad is playing uh, Jay's weed dealer. <laughs> and, um, and my mum is in it. And my sister plays this really antagonistic uh, character at a, at a dinner table who goes at Tatiana. Um, and, um, and yeah, so everything else was kind of like, uh, was played by, by my friends and family. Ah, well, yeah, I guess that's a, a good way of doing it. It must help with costs and everything. Like, what was, um, like, the funding like for this? Because, yeah, you know, relationship films, we've seen them. There's been a, a lot of them. So, it, like, I, I can suspect that people might be a bit hesitant to be like, uh, well, you know, we don't really know you. and blah, blah, blah. So what, what was that whole process like? 
Um, so, actually, in a weird way, it, it found me. Um, I was offered an act, because I'm also an actor. Um, I was offered an acting job by a producer, and I couldn't do it because of a scheduling conflict. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and I kind of accidentally pitched the phone, the film down the phone to him, um, and he was like, "Oh, this sounds quite good. Can you write, can you write me a one pager?" Uh, and I had no idea what one pager was, and I wrote him a one pager, and he called me back the next day and said, "I've got you a, a budget, but you have to shoot it in three months." And so that's how it, that's how it came about. So he he uh, I guess he found it from uh, a kind of a film fund, and there's like a film pool, and that's how mm. the financing came about yeah and it's a really super low budget film um uh in kind of in the grand scheme of things it's it's micro budget um and so um so yeah we only shot the film we shot the film in nine days which is nearly impossible yeah Yeah, that's crazy yeah 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 Yeah, most films shoot about a minute a day we were shooting 10, 15 minutes a day. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess it must be good grounding then for, like, your next project. I mean, like, I'm assuming you probably... There's a lot of things that you're thinking, oh, if I had more money, I'd like to do it this way, or maybe I can tweak that technique and do... Like, what were your kind of takeaways? My takeaways were definitely that I'd like more time um, and a bit more money. But that, that doesn't mean that I'm... I actually like that we made the film in such a small amount of time with such little money because there's an energy to the film that is... can, can really only... You can only have in that kind of frenetic yes. of... of uh, that's not even a word. That frenetic uh, atmosphere of everyone kind of vibing together yeah, and making yeah. something in such a short amount of time but I think my takeaways would be that you know I'd like a little bit more time and and, uh, and a little bit more money just just so that you can really pour over each scene you know some scenes I had to shoot very simply but mm-hmm. um, you know I'd like to I'd like to expand on my vocabulary I guess as a filmmaker okay I mean to, because you, the time constraints and everything like that how how kind of precisely did you plot everything out beforehand or was it just okay in this scene we want to get this and when you're there you think all right this angle should work like how what did you do i'd shot listed everything and i knew exactly how i wanted to shoot it um so i I needed because this this film spans these six years i needed to delineate each scene um with a different look so for example, year one, which is the year that they're falling in love with one another, I shot in aspect ratio 4-3, so it's almost square. The, sh- the depth of field is very shallow. Mm-hmm. I fill the actor's faces centre frame. I put everything on its... Uh, put the camera on its shoulder, and uh, we we use the kind of Fuji film stock to give it this, this grainy quality. Um, and the idea is that it's uh, to emulate love and the rushy feeling of love. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I edited it non-linear so that it's this kind of like feeling of like, oh yeah, then this happened, this happened. And then in contrast to that year six, for example, the aspiration is two, three, nine. So it's the widest we go. And I push the, um, I push the actors right to the edge of the frame. All the colors are desaturated. Um, the camera's on sticks and never moves. And it kind of gives it this stilted feeling. And, and so... Uh, 
every single part of the filmmaking was poured over because I think that you can really use the camera to tell a story mm. and, and I and I was excited experimenting that so each year of the film has its very specific filmic language um, and the way that we use the camera and the grade and, and it's, every scene is, is unique um, and that was, that was really fun to kind of experiment with that. That's the good thing with, about making something that's so low budget. Mm. You can make mistakes. Yes. Um, you can really, you know, throw things against the wall and see if they stick or not. And, mm. and some things do and some things don't. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. And this was thrown against the pink wall, right? Oh, gosh, I feel a bit bad for such a bad joke. But, hey. <laughs> when... <laughs> I think we're wrapping up. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Tom, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, man. Good luck. Yeah, great to meet you, man. Lassering. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. This is our UK premiere, and we, uh, we shot the film in the UK, uh, and there's lots of uh, friendly faces here, lots of cast and crew. So, firstly, I want to thank you for all your amazing work. Um, if you enjoyed the film, some of you seen it, some of you haven't. Um, yeah, this film was made uh, for you know not a lot of money in in rural Wales uh, by a group of friends and family, and uh, to be here is completely nuts. Um, uh, this is like dream come true kind of stuff. So uh, it's a real honour, and I, uh, we just hope that you enjoy it. Um, it's made with a lot of love, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming. I, I'll, I'll be here for Q&A. I'll call you. Um, while you guys think of some questions, uh, I'm going to get the ball rolling. Uh, it was such a pleasure to watch that again. It's so good. Uh, I, may, I mainly just want to ask you, how did you make it so good? But it's really a very productive line of uh, attack. Um, but maybe we could put it in context a little bit. Um, eight years ago, you had the leading role in, in Weekend, which is, I think, a, a breakthrough for you. Yeah, and we, uh, we, we premiered here. Exactly, in this very room. In this very room. <laughs> yeah. UK premiere, similar trajectory that film had. Uh, breakthrough, as I say. Um, and I'd, I'd just like to know in the intervening years where, uh, when you decided now it's time to step behind the camera and whether it was a case uh, of sort of almost living some of this film before you could make it. Um, yes, it's been an interesting journey for me. Uh, well, interesting for me, maybe not to you, but um, <laughs> <laughs> to becoming a director. Um, my, my parents watched directors when I was growing up, and I, I, in many ways I grew up in a rehearsal room, and I just fell in love with actors, and, uh, and that, that magical space, I was just so enamored with it. Um, and then uh, they, I kind of, my, that, that kind of moved away a little bit for, for me, but, um, but I always had in my head that I'd love to direct one day. And, uh, and then I became an actor. In many ways, I became an actor because I wanted to understand the psychology of actors that I could hopefully direct a bit better. Um, uh, but then I fell in love hard with acting, and then Weekend happened, and my kind of acting career took off. And, and the, the, again, the directing kind of went to the side. And then uh, this film happened by a complete accident. Um, uh, the producer of the film, Jamie Adams, he offered me a film in one of uh, a part in one of his films. But I couldn't do it because of scheduling conflict, and he was trying to entice me into doing the film by saying that uh, the Duplass brothers were involved. And I was like, oh, God, Duplass brothers, J. Duplass. Saw him in Transparent, thought he was amazing. And I've kind of got this really soft idea for a film with him and Tatiana. He's like, that sounds quite good. Um, will you, well, what is it? And I pitched it over the phone, uh, and he was like, that sounds great. Will you, uh, will you write some one page? And I was like, what the fuck? 
it's a one page. <laughs> so, but I was like, okay. So I went and wrote this one page, literally one page. I was like, this will do. And then sent it off. And then he called me, I think the next day or two days later, saying he'd gotten me a small budget, but I had to shoot it in three months. And it was uh, a kind of crazy process of writing the film. And so in many ways, I've always been wanting to direct and searching for that. But uh, in also in many ways, it kind of found me. Um, and I'm very grateful that it did. Um, and I'm very grateful Jamie, who's here, for, for making that happen. Um, so yeah, it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey. And in terms of the film itself, uh, <coughs> the inspiration for it, I, I kind of, I, I was turning 30 and panicking. Um, which I think we all probably do. Uh, Try 41, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think every milestone is a small panic. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, and I, I was like, you know, I'd kind of come out of the ego of my 20s and just going like, I'm going to push every boundary and go, oh, who, who am I? And then you go 13 and you really start to self-reflect and work out, trying to work out who you are. And then moving to, I was like, I really want to work out who, my successes and my failures as, as a partner and what I do right and what I do wrong, and, and also the, the kind of the argument, the duality between wanting to have kids but also wanting to have a career. And then I was like, right, I'm gonna put it into a film <laughs> and, and strip myself a bit bare uh, in the hope that maybe it resonates with somebody else. I think speaking of strip bare, the, the economy of the film is one thing of the things that's so impressive about it. Um, 81 minutes, it, it flies by, but also feels kind of bigger than most films of that length, I think, because of the the, the, the mix, the jumbled chronology you, right. you went for. And, uh, how did you decide on that structure and how, how early did that come to you to tell things in a kind of a different order? Yeah, I mean, that, that actually came to me about halfway through my writing process. My, my original idea was about a couple who go to Mid Wales, which is where I, I grew up, and they're, they're expats and they go to Wales and they kind of thrash out their relationship, and it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday structure. The, the, the Friday they're ignoring their present, Saturday they relive their past. Sunday they uh, kind of work out their future. Uh, but when I was writing it, I was kind of like, I've, 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 se I've seen this film uh, and it's been done really, really bloody well. It was, it was kind of, I felt like I was kind of writing before midnight. That's kind of what it felt like. And I was like, I'm not, you know, Linklater's nailed it. And I, um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm probably gonna back away from that. And I, and I was like, right, okay, well, what's my version of this actually really, you know? And when you write a film for two years, I'm sure you spend lots of time doing lots of iterations, but there was a certain element of instinct in making this film because I had a time limit. And I kind of came up, I was like, right, what do I want this film to be? What do I want it to say? What do I want it to feel like? And I, I decided that I wanted it to be experiential. There's a great quote by Harold Pinter. He talks about not wanting to uh, kind of wrap up his plays in a nice parcel with a big bow and hand it over to the audience and go, this is exactly how you're supposed to feel. And this is everything and this is what I'm saying. And I, I agree with that. I think that questions are sometimes much more interesting than answers. And I was like, I want the audience to feel like they've experienced a, a, a relationship, witnessed a relationship. I didn't want to tell them anything. And I, I wanted to kind of create a balanced argument in which people could see certain parts of themselves and, and maybe certain parts of their partners and and create discussion. And so I came up with this nonlinear structure. Um, and the reason I came up with the nonlinear structure is, is that essentially I've realized I'm 
got my back to you guys, I'm sorry. Um, uh, I'm a bit shy. The <laughs> um, uh, nonlinear structure is kind of designed like memory, I think, because when we reflect back on uh, experiences or, or relationships in particular, uh, I don't think memory is linear, I think it's expansive. I think what we do is we juxtapose different moments to kind of build our emotional landscape. And I wanted to create that atmosphere. I wanted the audience to slowly put together the, this relationship and juxtapose these moments to build their emotional landscape for what this for, for this couple. And hopefully, at the end, they'll feel like they've kind of really felt and witnessed this relationship uh, without being told exactly what they should feel. Mm. I was just to come back to your actors for a minute. Um, I, w Please. I wouldn't want to uh, <laughs> oversimplify this, but one of the things that kind of goes off like dynamite for me in the film is the, I guess, the collision between Jay's comic brilliance and Tatiana's kind of dramatic brilliance, if you like. Um, and I, I just wonder, um, in terms of creating that dynamic, uh, whether you wrote that quite early into there, because he's, he's so funny and she's so powerful, I feel. And obviously they kind of switch and they're very, they're both very good all-round actors. But there's something about their chemistry that really does, does make it all come into, uh, click into place. Yeah, as soon as I saw Jay in Transparent, I kind of knew that those two would work well together. Um, for Jay's character in particular, he, uh, I was very interested in flipping the gender roles. Um, that was something I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I was aware that putting a, a, a male on a screen that isn't ar the archetype of this brooding, um, you know, uh, hungry for success, uh, you know, quite reductive idea of what a man is on screen, the audience would struggle with it. And um, and so I, I kind of felt like a good way of bringing that through would be through somebody who's very light and funny. But actually the truth of it is, is that uh, I cast them immediately before I'd actually written anything. And I knew what the story was gonna be and I wrote it for them. But what I did is I held improvisations with them um, because what I wanted to do was create memories for them to recall on later in the, in the film um, and you know I, it was very evident very early on how funny he was and so I, I harnessed that and I used that and I took it on and I knew Tatiana's capability as a fucking powerhouse um, which she is um, and, and it felt like it was, it was gonna work and, and then on set you know a big part of my process was allowing the actors to really flourish, create an environment in which we, they could really play to their strengths and, and create a dynamic which felt real because it was coming from them. I don't want to hog all the time up here, so I'm going to throw it open to you because we do only have limited time before we shut up tonight. So uh, put your hands up. There's someone right at the back already. If you just wait for the mic to come to you. Uh, yeah. Or just shout really loudly. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Before Midnight because uh, I really love that trilogy, but it really reminded me of um, those films. And uh, I was wondering, you said you, you, you got them to improvise a bit, but I was wondering how scripted it was and how did you shoot uh, scenes like the, the dinner party? Um, was that with multiple cameras or was it just like very well rehearsed and shot it? Um, yeah, so uh, actually, because, because, of, because I'm an actor, I wanted to create, um, I was really hungry to kind of like create 
uh, an atmosphere and a way of working on set that would I would want to work in and that would be conducive to the kind of authentic <coughs> performances that I was that I knew the film would live or die on. And so I took a lot of inspiration from Godard and, and uh, John Cassavetes, um, uh, Mike Lee, um, <laughs> Ken Loach. Um, that, that I, I kind of like drew from there a lot of inspiration from them. And so I wanted to develop a process that I, would be unique to me that I felt would get these performances. And, and so some of it's scripted, it's like the, the last scene on the mountain, that's a scripted scene. But then uh, so the, some of the scenes are called semi-improvised. So what I do is I, I, I wrote a full script, which I then threw out. And then uh, I had these very um, fixed scenes that it's called a scriptment, like Joe Swanberg does it, you know, and it's this very detailed outline of what each scene is, the, the, the arc of it, the shape of it, the themes, the dynamic, the statuses. And so the actors knew the, the roadmap. And then I would not call my crew for two hours and I'd get the actors in the morning, because we only shot the film in nine days, it's, it's pretty wild, so it was, it was pretty hairy um, <laughs> at the time, but I wouldn't call the crew for two hours and we'd get there in the morning and I would talk to the actors through the scenes and kind of what I wanted to hit. And then, this is incredibly manipulative, but I would um, filter what I wanted through the prism of their experiences and through their, you know, the themes that I wanted through, through, yeah, I've just said it and I'm gonna repeat it, but through their experiences. Um, and we would then talk about it and then I'd get them to start improvising and I wanted them to have ownership. And then in their improvs, I would then um, direct them and I would shape the improvisations. I'd be like, no, let's not go here, let's go here. How about if you say this? And eventually I would get the scene that I wanted. But what's fantastic about that is that actually it's the scene that I want, but they have complete autonomy and own ownership over those scenes. Um, and then I created, uh, I'd go away and write these very fixed bullet points. Um, and I, the, the analogy I use is like, it's like, a, it's like a, a downhill slalom. You know, the skier has to go through every single pole. But however wide or narrow takes those corners, it's up to them, but they have to get to the bottom. And so these, these fixed markers would be an action, a line, or a thought. And the actors know that they have to you know, traverse their way through them, but however they say it is up to them. So the benefit of that is I get the structured scene that I want, that I is timed, you know, I timed every every scene so that it would be 117 minutes, which because I, I want, want a short movie. But the best thing about that is that I get my structured scene, but they're inherently thinking and listening on every line. So you get that authentic kind of performance, which you get from improvisation. And that process also allowed me to cast m my family, my mum's in it, my stepdad plays the drug dealer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my, my sister who's here, she, uh, she, she is the, she's the woman, the horrible person who goes across a tat at the dinner table. Uh, shout out to you, Ruth. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and, and my key grip is in it, my producer's in it, uh, my, my cousin's in it, and uh, everyone else is just friends. And it, 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 create, you know, it was great because those people weren't labored by a script, and it kind of feels pretty seamless, I think. You know, you can, they kind of disappear into it, and, and it was a great process. And you know, I hope for my next film, I'd like to develop that more. Um, and then the dinner scene, actually there's quite a few actors here who were in that dinner scene, so we, I developed that scene half a day, we shot it in half a day. Uh, so we had lunch and then we shot it after lunch. Um, 
and I, I shot everything on two cameras pretty much because I wanted a cross shoot. I was really wanting to emulate that Cassavetes type, you know, 70s cinema with the overlaps and that kind of cacophonous sound. And I used um, the dinner scene from A Woman Under the Influence as my, as my influence for the dinner scene. Um, you know, that great scene where all those, all those mates come back and she serves them pasta. And there's always at least two people in the frame and it just feels so alive and so real. And I really wanted to create that. So, you know, that dinner scene, there's always at least two people in the frame. And it was much the same process. The, the actors, uh, they had a very fixed mark as they, that they'd moved through, but however they said it was up to them. And, um, and, and uh, what it meant is there's a real liveness to it, um, which, which uh, I'm just so excited by. And it, it's not perfect, but I, that's kind of what I also really like about it. Um, yeah. That's a very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that one. We should probably come over here. I feel as though we've been neglecting this side. Has anyone got a question on this side uh, for Tom? No one. Anyone else? No? Oh, yeah, you've got one at the back. Great. Sorry, it's annoying actually. It's more of a comment than a question about Tom. Great. <laughs> Great. That's not one of these. Sorry, <laughs> Tom. Sorry. That's okay, Tom. I just say I, I loved it, man. It's so, so good. And just that, yeah, all of it. But it was seamless from any scripted stuff to improvisation just like felt yeah you, you it, it was brilliant and the little moments like i just won out of many brilliant bits where uh he's talking about the open relationship and he's been offered to um to take part with the, the man or the woman and he just turns to the guy next to him and says uh uh you love it like that moment just seems so that that, that, that was scripted yeah kyle's here it's very kyle yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you would have loved it. Like that was that, that uh, if that was scripted, I don't think that that moment, which is that's indicative of the whole no, film, just it's, it's great because you know you create an atmosphere that feels live, and and um, the great thing about long takes as well is that the actors can kind of disappear. You know, after about a minute, because because the actors are, are making the lines up essentially, even though they know what they're going to say and everyone knows where they're going, but because they're making up, they, you you do really disappear. Your brain plays this fucked up trick on you um, and it means that these kind of really brilliant live moments come out like that I mean as soon as I saw that moment I was like oh great that's that's straight in there you know those little weird idiosyncratic mistakes and weirdness that people do you know like uh, I, I was very close to putting in somebody picking their nose um, <laughs> but that person's in the cinema you're very lucky you can thank me later on I'll tell you who it is later <laughs> yeah um, I, love th I love those moments because I think that it's subconscious as an audience but, but it, you think that it's real you know, and, and you kind of I hope that it creates a feeling of, of reality and the thing with Jay and the balloons out the window and the what is that? What is going on there? Uh, yeah, so, so I was actually feeding him lines. Um, uh, I was like, there's a person with balloons, so you'd say nice balloons. Shout out the window, just throwing him lines. And it, was, it was just really yeah, very fun. Um, we've probably got time for one more short question. Yeah. Hi, thank you. I really loved it as well. Thank you, really loved it. Um, and I just wanted to know, in the scenes, there's so many scenes where it's like this really gut-wrenching turn. So you see it's big argument and then suddenly they're so cute or they're all having a laugh and then suddenly the big bomb drops. Is that is that one of the kind of bullet point things you're talking about? Is that all planned? Uh, yeah, I mean that that's planned in the in the in the writing of the scene. So the structure of the scene was always planned. So I'd I'd write out a very fixed structure. The bullet points 
were more for the actors as a guideline after we'd rehearsed that structure. So it's like a, the structure is like a skeleton. You know, that's not going to change. But however the actors put the muscles onto it, you know, and, and it is up to them. <clears throat> so those bullet points are are more markers for them, so that they they can there's a consistency to to the scenes. Um, but the scenes were designed to have that arc and those turns and those points and those hits. That 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 was all that was written. You know that was that was structured beforehand. Um, but however the actors, you know, however it came out of their mouth in that moment was up to them. But they knew they knew what the hit point was. But however they were going to say that hit point in that live moment was completely up to them. Uh, and it, you know it was interesting. Uh, there, what you find in the edits actually they're very. It's actually it's very consistent. Um, um, I was quite surprised by that. I thought that it might be a little bit more balloony, but it wasn't. It was very, very, very structured. Probably all we've got time for, unfortunately. I hope you share my appreciation of the film, and I'm pretty sure it will stay with you. But can you join me in thanking Tom? Okay, so yeah. Man, that uh, I, yeah, it's just as I said, look, it's been a great day. Hope, I hope that, um, yeah, the reviews gave you a good insight into whether you might like these films or not, and you enjoyed, um, yeah, listening to, um, Tom talk about the film and the process and everything. Uh, yeah, it was just a shame we couldn't talk for longer, but yeah, these things happen, man. These things happen. Um, so remember, like, check the episodes, um, you know, for uh, the information and all of that. Uh, I think there's some social media links and yeah, just the um, release date information and all of that shebang, you know. Um, so yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. All right, peace.